Yo, Superman on the beat. Welcome to episode 15 of the Hip Hop Scotland podcast. We're going a bit different this week. Um, we'll speak to Kapu Sinsai and Hassan. Um, yeah, so a lot of people are probably quite surprised that we've got Kapu on today because you probably wouldn't um, necessarily think that it's sort of hip hop, but correct me if I'm wrong, Kapu's got a, a track coming out very soon, um, his next single. That is kind of more towards hip hop, um, and also yeah. your, new, your new project as well. So, if you just want to tell us a bit more about that and why you've kind of, yeah, why yeah, you're on the podcast for pretty, pretty much. Yeah, um, like as of the time of this recording, the uh, new single "Rupture of the Wheel" should be out for everyone here on Spotify and all other platforms where you'll be able to consume your music. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it started like. A little while ago, me wanting to pivot to a more R&B, hip-hop kind of space. I myself, I, I'm a singer-songwriter. I, I, I wouldn't dare attempt to rap. I'd rather <laughs> get someone who knew what they were doing. And um, yeah, that's where Hassan, who who um, co-fronts Duranti Group. Um, actually, Hassan, am I pronouncing that right? Man, you can pronounce it however way you want. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, so... I'm a nihilist when it comes to language. <laughs> I feel like that's like a collective, like, South Asian thing where you don't really care how people pronounce your name. <laughs> because I've had everything under the sun, but... Yeah. Well, um, you guys, do you guys ever have the, your, what's your white guy name? It's whatever autocorrect changes your name to. Like, my, no, my, my, my white guy name is uh, Carl Phillips. As in, instead of Peel, it goes Carl and then Philip. And I went, yeah, that'll do. I'm, I've got a double barrel name now. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so I'm a singer-songwriter, but I've been pivoting to this more R&B space recently. And uh, this time last year, I was finishing off mixes for my first ever rap single, if you want. And it wasn't me rapping on the tune. It was legendary rapper and um, force of nature, I should say, Lil B, who tweeted Legend. randomly in October 2020, what is the caste system? And most people know me from my concept album about the horrors of the caste system. Mm-hmm. I got in touch. He was into it. We collaborated on a track. And that's me dropping a, t- a tune that didn't feature me singing on it. And I thought, you know, let's continue as I mean to go on. And yeah, I had this new tune, Rupture of the Wheel. I'd been working on it. And I thought... This needs a rap real bad. And uh, that's where Hassan comes in. Nice, nice. So how did you get uh, get involved, Hassan? And um, what, like, kind of what's your sort of background, I guess? Yeah, so um, how I got involved was um, me and Kapil were on the same Facebook groups. Like we had similar political, social ideas and everything. And yeah. I was drawn to his music because he was talking about caste in Scotland. You know, it was great to see the diaspora getting involved with our local politics and at yeah. the time I lived in Pakistan. So I was always into his music. I never imagined that we would be collaborating together because I do this completely different kind of 
hip hop that's political too but like very rugged very grimy kind of sound you know yeah but if, when he hit, hit me up and he gave me a little direction okay i need the song to be about this i was like i got to do this you know <laughs> it's totally yeah. not yeah so it's quite a, i was just like a scottish audience so i'd quite like if you could just tell us a bit about your music um and what you do hasan and your group and all that sort yeah. of stuff yeah sure so I I'm part of uh, a three person hip hop crew in Pakistan called Daranti group. Daranti means sickle and it's a part of a long pun that I can't explain but basically people think we're communists because of the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we're just into we were just into like making old school kind of hip hop because in Pakistan at the time there were only like modern hip hop songs being made and i love that stuff i'm into that but yeah like trap and that sort of thing yeah. yeah but i wanted like other sounds to be there too for so the listeners can hear all the different kinds of hip hop but in their own local languages you know not in english so that was the motivation behind my group and yeah i'm in germany now i'm working as a solo artist too now but also making songs with my crew trying to keep it running nice one um, it's quite interesting to hear a sort of different angle um, compared to us. There's normally kind of Scottish guests, so it's quite a good um, change to have somebody else that can maybe have their view on, obviously the local scene or whatever. But have you mm-hmm. actually have you ever listened to any Scottish hip hop? Has then, dude, um, there was this one Scottish artist. I forgot his name, but he was like rapping about pills and homeless people, and the video was really like. Kind of grimy with low quality. Could that have been Shogun? Because he's probably one of the most known Scottish guys. I, I think so. Like when you Google, when you YouTube Scottish hip hop, that right. guy comes right. I'm actually going to check. Do you know that? I'm going to check what's at the top right now. Let me <laughs> just, check. just to see Scottish yeah. hip hop. Um, it's actually Mog right now. Mog, that guy went south. Oh really? Uh, that's that's uh, okay. And, and the funny thing is, I heard that song in like before making the ranti group and i was thinking like dude this because in pakistan we used to rap with american accents and if you rapped with your local accent people thought you were crazy yeah. but then i heard this guy and i'm like he's rapping his own accent his own slang lingo body language everything you know so why that's, can't i do that <laughs> yeah that's what's really cool that i felt like there is similarities between scottish hip hop and other local hip hop that's outside the us um, I think there is a similarity between all of them. And it's interesting you've said that, um, that Scottish hip hop kind of inspired you to obviously rap in your own accent. Um, and obviously authenticity is quite a big deal in hip hop. Um, so that's yeah. quite cool to, to hear to hear that. Um, but what's your, yeah, yeah what were you going to say, Captain? Yeah, um, it's it's fascinating how that kind of energy, it's happened with production and producers in general, I think. I mean, I think, was it when Rusty kind of released a lot of his most cutting edge music about 10 years ago? Yeah. I think he was influenced by a lot of American music, but then American musicians who were into what he was doing ended up kind of using his own techniques as well. So you had this kind of feedback loop of Americans and Scottish people having like a cultural kind of interchange. And it's not hip hop related per se, but I I love that. Um, I think in the early nineties there was this American indie band called Slint, and their whole shtick was, and they're a very early kind of post rock band. Post rock being a massive genre in Scotland yeah. is um, 
as everyone knows, is uh, they used to play guitars without any singing in the classic sense. They'd just kind of be talking in a half-whispered way over their guitar right, parts. Yeah. And a Scottish act called uh, Arab Strap, who any Scottish person yeah, will know, agree, and hopefully agree. love, I, I love that band. They, um, they kind of went, oh, these American guys are kind of just talking in their normal accents. I'm going to do that, but I've got a Scottish accent. And they've kind of really popularized that kind of cultural slang in indie, that kind of speaking in a in a brogue if you want and I I love that and I love that it transfers over to hip-hop too especially in the ways that you know people communicate what they're doing and I love that Hassan's taken influence from like you know where we live and that it's fed back into what he's doing and now he's collaborating with me it's an it's another endless feedback loop of people talking I love it that sort of kind of pretty much describes why I want to get like you guys on as well because um, I think what's typical in hip hop, I think it's kind of like that, and obviously rock and other things like that. The kind of elitism where people kind of um, guard like types of hip hop or whatever, so like old school stuff. Um, a lot of the time, we don't really hear this other opinions, and um, because these people kind of just show the opinions that obviously they agree with them. So that's why I want to get people on that. Yeah, we'd have different opinions, and that's sort of why, obviously, we've got you guys on.
साइड जो मेरे साथ एक ट्रैक पे अब कूद ना चाहे ऊपर बहुत नहीं दे मुझे तू दिखाए तुमको दूर से पाए नीचे तुम झूलते भाई जी तू हर बार क्लियरली होने दूर ना टाई पढ़ा करो किताबें दिमाग सूख ना जाए लोग आके मुझसे पूछे क्यों है तू को लाइट मुके इतने रैपरों का फेस ब्लू आइट ना शराब ना जॉइंट पिता मैं मूड में चाहे रहता हूँ टॉप पे जैसे दूध की हूँ मलाई और रैपर कहीं कहूँ करता मैं भूल के फ्राई स्नीक डिस्करे जो आज कल हम भूलते भाई क्वालिटी लो एम थ्री मेरे लेवल पे ज्यादा यहाँ पे है भी नहीं दुकान उठा दे तेरी मेरी कमिटी एम सी डी पंची जाते नहीं समझ पर चैलेंज होना है मेंटली बड़े दिल वाला अपनी खुशी बाटी है रैपर सुन के मुझे लगा लेते फांसी है खून करने का आदि मैं खत्म सेकंड में फाकी है How did you get into hip hop or maybe music generally? Obviously, I know Capio's got a bit of a, um, a bit of a different background in terms of like music and how you got into it. But, um, but yeah, just give us your your sort of journey. Um, should I go first or should we get Hassan's um, take on this one? Yeah, you go first. Uh, you go first. Yeah. So I have a. <laughs> 
it's my my one was funny because like we were talking about cast, which um, to all the <laughs> Scottish listeners tuning in is the one of the most underreported human rights crises of all time. A, a really barbaric cultural hierarchy originating within Hinduism that you can find in Islam, Sikhism, Christianity, wherever South Asians seem to settle. I found that when I was younger and I grew up with a lot of caste privilege, it came with a lot of anti-blackness, which is implicit to anyone who's brown and listening to this. And um, there was a lot of anti-blackness and growing up and for, you know, if I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute, I grew up with some kind of really bigoted opinions when it related to like black culture and black music that were just passed down to me. And it wasn't until I heard MF Doom for the first time when I was about 15 that I went, hold up, this is quite alternative sounding, but it's kind of like hip hoppy as well. And it was kind of like an entry point to me. And I'll share this with you. And so you can include it in the notes of the podcast, uh, Sanji. But yeah, sure. um, when, uh, when MF Doom died like a couple of years ago, it hit me like a family member passing away because I had, I was one of these really like, you know, I was like a premature boomer when I was a teenager. I was like, real music's made with instruments and guitars. Yeah. <laughs> and I look back on that and I'm so embarrassed. And real bass is a guitar, like nonsensical shit. Only yeah. like, <laughs> like a privileged boy's going to say. But I'm sitting there with these terrible opinions on boomer rock music being the only kind of music you can enjoy. When yeah. I come across MF Doom and like, He's got this kind of comedy about his delivery. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but there's this undoubted artistry to what he's doing. It's so raw, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. And um, when he died, a journalist I know, uh, he was sourcing opinions for a piece about MF Doom and his legacy. And he wanted non-hip-hop artists involved. And I hadn't collaborated with Lil B or Hassan at this point. And I went, you know, I'll write a paragraph about him. And I talked about this. And he was really taken aback that... I was about, I was essentially coming out about the cultural anti-blackness that I grew up with and how hip hop helped me unpack it and essentially turn around and go, well, I'm pretty embarrassed about this, but you know what? People make mistakes. I'm going to move past this. And most importantly, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to get it out there and go, you know what? These opinions exist and they're abhorrent and people should get rid of them. And I can thank MF Doom's music for that. I think my journey was like, MF Doom, then I discovered Gangstar. The big, I think the big album for me was uh, The Cold Vein by Cannibal Ox, which is a really popular choice, I think. But man, that album, it's got, it samples so much other music that I love it. Like samples yeah. like Jaco Pastorius, it samples like Mexican, ra- like loads of random post-punk stuff that I remember when I really loved guitar music. And I'm sitting there thinking... How is this on a hip hop record, you know, in terms of more like contemporary stuff, like whenever me and Sanjeev meet up, it's like we're talking about like trap. We're talking about Don Tolliver records and, uh, you know, Sanjeev's really with it. As everyone listening to this knows, he's constantly recommending me artists I've never heard of, but it's exciting. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Out. And I think being like in my 30s now, there is this kind of very millennial urge to go. All the music that's good only came out in when I when I was a teenager. I don't like new music. And that's just becoming a boomer. I mean, sorry, it's just becoming an old person, an old person who's like set in their ways. I'm the opposite. I'm like, so much cool stuff's coming out. I want to learn about it. And this yeah, I track, wish, I, mean, I wish more yeah. people would be like that, actually. 
Well, me and Hassan's track is like really like um, it's really indicative of my attitude to music. I'm like, I discovered hyperpop like two, three years ago, and I was like Arca, Sophie, all, and like Sego Bodega, all these producers making this wild shit. I went, yeah, I want to combine this with all the cl- Indian classical music I grew up with, and yeah, I want to put a rap on it, and the raps in Ur- and Ur- and it's in Urdu, isn't it, Hassan? Yeah, it's in Urdu with uh, some Punjabi in it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I mean, I would have never thought to have ended up at this point when I was like a teenager making terrible boomery rock music. <laughs> but yeah, I want to I wanna hear Hassan's journey. Yeah, tell us about how yeah, you... Yeah, tell us about how you... Uh, yeah, your journey. Yeah, so I grew up in... I, I was born in 1992 and I grew up in Lahore and there was not a lot of hip-hop music in the 90s in Lahore, but my dad... He was really into like collecting music from different parts of the world, you know. He was in he was into UK house and techno before anyone else in my city. He was listening to ACDC and Black Sabbath in the 80s <laughs> and all that stuff. In 1996 or 1997, I was like four years old. He was driving me through the main main road in Lahore, and he was blasting the song by Tupac. And okay. I think Tupac had just died recently, and my father came to know of him, and he copped his cassette CDs, whatever. Yeah. And the song was Shorty's Gonna Be a Thug, right? And I was like, what the hell is this sound? You know, like you were a little <laughs> kid, those uh, P-Funk, George Clinton influence samples were just like exploding in my mind. And yeah. he was rapping. I didn't understand like most of what he was saying because English wasn't my first language. But I was like, okay, whatever this guy's saying, I completely agree with it, <laughs> you know? So yeah, just like the whole sort of energy and what it sort of stood for. Sometimes you don't need to know what exactly. somebody's saying to know what they're getting at, if you get why. Exactly, yeah. And that was the seed, right? I got into hip-hop properly much later on. Like, I, I grew up a metalhead. I was part of many different metal bands in my city, put on gigs. So then I got into punk rock, all that. And through punk rock, I discovered hip-hop. It was really weird because... I started making friends online with people from New York who were around the New York punk scene in the 80s and the 90s. And they were like, bro, you should listen to Wu-Tang Clan. You should listen to Gangstar. You should listen to all these rap stuff that you hate, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll listen. And then, you know, I was like, okay, this is a fucking crazy art form. You know, you can yeah. say whatever you want. You can make whatever kind of music you want, whatever vibe you want. And I just got really into it. I always wanted to do something in hip hop, but I couldn't until a later point in my life. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think that I've actually noticed that quite recently, though, like how a lot of people got into hip hop through like punk rock and obviously the sort of stand for similar ideas, um, yeah. kind of politically and socially. So I think that's yeah, quite, quite interesting. Artists like public enemy, you know, like um, if you're coming from a punk rock background and you're all about, yeah, yeah. Life, smash the state and then you listen to uh, Chuck D, you know, talking about those African-American black grievances. And you're like, this is more punk than punk itself. <laughs> yeah. You know, in a way. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, there's also artists like that, you know, like Public Enemy, and also like um, Run DMC, who probably aren't really punky, but they did bring in that sort of rock, yeah, yeah. Um, that rock yeah. element into They bridge the gap. Yeah, first ones to bridge the gap. Yeah, there are also the Beastie Boys as well made quite a big impact. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, my one of my favorite um, YouTube performances. It's it's annoying that we live in an age where I can't be like I was there in the audience, but it was David Letterman in 1992. I was three years old. I wasn't <laughs> going to be be there, but it was like uh, that performance of Sabotage on I think David Letterman with the Beastie Boys, and like yeah. that song has one chord in it, but they just they just there's so much punk energy to it. And you're like, how much more punk can you get than a song that's built around a single chord? <laughs> and I think that's an amazing example of like a band taking punk and hip hop and fusing it into its like own hybrid. And yeah, I think that, you know, you have to, I think what kind of depresses me is that I think overtly political music often gets maligned as like, this is just a really good song. I'm just going to completely, um, ignore any message that it might have had because the message is probably pivotal to why the artist wrote the song in the first place. My favorite example of that, I think it was like some kind of like rich Texan oil baron said, Oh, I don't like Tom Morello's music anymore. It's too political. And Tom Morello himself (laughs) commented on it being like, when wasn't my music political? Could you point it out to me? And it was like, Imagine imagine naming your band Rage Against the Machine and people misunderstand it enough to think it's like proto new metal about, no, I'm not going to clean my room, mum. And it's like, <laughs> no, this band, you know, this band existed to what, to topple, you know, like neoliberalism, but it kind of got lost. And, and I think a lot of people just deciding to ignore the message. But I'm glad that we can have this conversation about how, you know, political and like, you know, how political and dangerous hip hop is as a medium and in the best possible way. There's this really hilarious, there's this hilarious interview with Bono of U2 fame. And he's like, um, oh, hip hop is the new rock and roll. And you kind of wish the interview ended at that point. You go, oh, there's this old guy's like really with it. He's kind of accepted that the torch has been passed and that rock and roll isn't it anymore. But he then goes on to say, we need to make rock exciting again. And I'm like, no, we don't. (laughs) Hip hop's definitely taken the torch. You can't take it back now. That's not how the relay works, you know? Do you know what's funny with that? Um, I actually saw an interview the other day and it was Mick Jagger, right? And he was saying, um, he was saying how the excitement has been brought back to rock because of MGK and Youngblood. And I was like, that just sums it up. The rappers are bringing excitement back to rock. Yeah. Like, and no matter what you think of MGK, um, he's, he's been successful in, in the kind of rock field right now. Um, so yeah, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that these things can coexist though. Like I still enjoy a lot of the really like dad Rocky music I grew up with, but alongside that, I'm really into hyper pop and PC music, as you can hear on this new single rupture of the wheel. So I kind of don't believe in the whole, you have to only like one kind of music for me. It's like, you've purposely decided to limit what you can enjoy. What's the point? Like have less fun, be my guest. Yeah, and I completely agree with that because, like, with regards to hip hop, I really boxed myself in for five years that, okay, I'm just going to listen to boom bap stuff. I'm just <laughs> yeah. going to listen to these guys, these, the cutoff point is 1995, nothing after that. But <laughs> yeah. that was, you know, like, at, at one time, if I took off my headphones, I got really annoyed if I heard like a four by four speed, you know, I was like, screw this shit, you know? Yeah. Let's listen to some drill, let's listen to grime, all this stuff trap whatever like that i completely ignored southern rap and 
it, it's a very toxic mentality to lock yourself into that i think we all should like try to uh, get out of that every time we box ourselves in yeah definitely yeah i've got one of my friends actually he's kind of like that and like if he hears a hi hi automatically like so the trap hi hat as soon as he hears that in the song he's like automatically that's that's it written off like anything could happen after the hi hat but literally he was like that (laughs) yeah yeah i think i think think it's getting better like it's definitely getting better because guys like obviously snoop dogg who talks about the new rappers and like kind of tries to sort of bridge that gap as well but yeah what was you going to say Capio? I think the interesting thing is that you get both extremes. Like you get someone who'll hear like that kind of triplet thing that when you stitch a bunch of hi-hat 808 samples together, you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it's kind of like Migos. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, actually, the Migos sound. Yeah, exactly. You've nailed yeah. it. Like it's in Stir Fry. It's in like Walking Like a Talk. It's in everything. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like some people hear that and they immediately write the song off. But then you get the exact opposite of that where you do get producers who are like oh if you work with me you're just going to get that really homogenous sound and the artist might say what if i want to take that and i want to combine it with something else i do like that that sound they'll be like no 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 it has to be this or it won't chart or it won't get and everything becomes a how can i make the most homogenous likely to be in an advert likely to make it to a playlist kind of sound in this day and age for tiktok dances as well yeah 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 yeah. i mean yeah, I think that, you know, the record's been the record's been done for a while now. You know, I appreciate your patience, Hassan, waiting for me to actually find a home for it. We finished this song like sometime last year. And oh, he and yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the journey to finding the ideal voice for it, you know, took some time. But you know, when we got that final mix back and I was like, yeah, you know, and I think that what people have said about the single who've heard it thus far, I mean, I'm assuming everyone listening is probably going to have had it spammed in their faces by now, by the point of broadcast, but (laughs) the, um, but it's like, um, the thing people have to say about this single is one of my favorite compliments about the album that people have given as a whole, which is, Oh, it's like loads of sounds that I know, but repurposed in a way that I've never heard it before. It's like, yeah, you can take 808, you can take profit synthesizers, you can take like kind of vaguely hyper pop stuff and like you can mix it together in a way that's really vogue right now. Or you could go, I'm going to take these sounds, you know, and take and pull it into an uncanny valley where you're being pulled kicking and screaming into a new vibe. And I think... The the flow that Hassan brings to that song just takes it to a different place. Like I think you, I can always hear your your hardcore influence in in your flow in that song, Hassan. And I think yeah. I I just love it because it's just so aggro, but it's so tight at the same time. Yeah, I mean the the hardcore influence. I always try to bring that in the vocal performance. A lot of people tell me that I don't use my um, real voice to rap, but you know, like I I think like. People like Run DMC, Ice Cube, those guys were shouting on the mic too, you know, like they called it hardcore hip hop for a reason, you know. It yeah, was, just that aggression. Punk. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it was actually quite interesting what you said there about people not using their actual voice when they rap. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I get what you mean actually now that I've thought about it because especially if like they're aggressively, aggressively shouting or whatever, then they're not exactly going to talk like that, so... That's quite yeah. an interesting point, actually, about kind of authenticity. So why, yeah, why is that different to accent? I guess. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. People that, people that think but that. Like, I, when I used to get this and I, then I came to like live shows and I would put my mic away and shout at those people in the same way <laughs> I shout in my songs. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay, this voice is definitely coming from your mouth. It's not auto-tuned or whatever. So yeah. <laughs> it's your voice. It's no one else's. Yeah, exactly. Um, I talking about auto-tuned, I talk about this in every episode. I think I've said this in every episode as well because, like, I want to get different opinions. So, um, yeah, what's your thoughts on like kind of auto tune and the new sort of sound of hip hop? I guess. I think I've grown to love it. I like, but I like obviously I had these boomer opinions before. Like, Kapil was talking <laughs> yeah. about like, no, no, no auto tune in the music, blah blah. But like it's it's a valid creative tool, you know, to get this a certain soundscape that you want. And the single that me and Kapil made, like it's got a lot of auto tune in it too, and it completely suits the sound and the vibe that we're going for. It's supposed to be there, you know, and it's it's not a new thing either. You can hear George Clinton in this seventies uh, making funk music, fiddling around with his voice, trying to get like a more psychedelic tone or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's a completely valid tool to use in music. Yeah, I think that while we're talking on the per- while we're talking on the subject of like the boomer, the kind of very boomery, it's <laughs> not talent if you're using autotune. Yeah, I have this I have this thing I always do that drives boomers nuts because I always I encounter them constantly because I'm predominantly known as a guitar player and yeah. I I have a really distinctive style, but it's built around like I plug straight into the amp and I have a very like the tone is about what I'm using the acoustic sound of the guitar as to manipulate it for me it's not about affecting it in any way the new album has a very like everything is hyper digital but the guitar is this really acoustic anchor that keeps the the sound to its own kind of source if you know what i mean but anyway i whenever i hear boomers complain about auto-tune and they all play the guitar no i've never met a boomer who had terrible opinions on music who didn't think he was a guitar hero it's always the case and i always go Oh, do you use um, oh, a pedal to or an amp to play the guitar? You're cheating. You should just be able to play the guitar and you should be so good that you can hear it. Why is that singer using a PA? That's cheating. And it drives them nuts because they're like, that's not the same. And I'm like, nah, it, it is. You should just yeah. be able to sing in front of a crowd and they should be able to hear you. If you can't sing loud enough, you're not good enough at music. And it drives them nuts. But... <laughs> The point, the, the basic argument is identical to what they say about autotune. It's just another instrument, isn't it? It's a vehicle by which to communicate a specific musical idea. And do you need, and it's an aesthetic unto itself. It's an instrument unto itself. And you should watch like video. It's easy to watch videos of like the biggest rappers, your Post Malone's, your Travis Scott's, whoever. Like autotune goes wrong live if your timing isn't amazing. And it definitely fails when you're not paying attention to what you're doing. It's not an immediate be good at music live thing. You could literally see that anyone who can't really play but has a really good amp and a really good guitar is probably going to sound pretty good if they're just mashing a power chord through a lot of like effects. And it's like, if we're allowing that to happen, why is using autotune live or in post in the studio any different? I'm really looking forward to the inevitable backlash I'm going to get with this song. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to. I know. I know what's going to be said. Basically, because I'm known as a guitar player, everyone's going to go. 
oh man, used to play the guitar. Now it's all like synth and it's like auto tune on your voice. And 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 then I'm like, oh, are my songs pro the cast system now? Is there not blatantly a guitar? all the way through the song, doubling up everything the synth's doing. But people are just going to be like, I'm going to be offended today, right? I'm going to have a glass of wine and be mean to people on the internet. And they're good. if they're going to look for something to be mad about, they're going to be mad about it. And I'm not going to lie, that Banty Blackness that was there in me back, in, back when I was a teenager, it's right there in those people who are mad at people for doing a thing they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm going to call it out for what it is. And it's like, oh, so you can do your thing, but they can't do their thing. Why are you gatekeeping? Who gatekeeps music? What a weird, pointless thing to do. Anyway, thanks for coming yeah. to my TED Talk. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think ever since I started working on this song too, like a uh, couple, to be honest, I think this is the first time I'm telling you maybe, but I was thinking like, okay, do I, as a guy who's marketed myself as a boom bap, pure boom bap artist my whole life, uh, is gonna do this kind of song where, where what are my hardcore fans gonna think you know but i was like fuck it fuck fuck them and it's uh, it sounds like a really interesting track it's a great way for me to break my own musical bo- boundaries that i self-imposed you know yeah so i i totally expect hardcore long time the ranti group listeners coming in like bro where are the boom bap samples where are the south asian influences blah 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 like it, it doesn't have to be like that all the time <laughs> yeah, i think exactly. it's yeah i i think it's one of these things where i i didn't know that you you were pushing against your your old sound to work on that because for me you bring like this weird mix of like hardcore energy there is a bit of a boom bat vibe but yeah i think it fits perfectly like it's weird because me and my producer we've tried many different iterations of what does this song need in the bridge to take it to the next level and i think after the song's been out i might introduce like a little video where we have a compilation of all the failed ideas of oh it was going to be a guitar solo and a key change and a guest like singer coming in nothing suits the song like your rapped verse do so yeah you bringing that energy to it man it takes it somewhere i think your fans will like it because it sounds like you it doesn't sound like any anyone else to me and sanjeev if you're if you're playing any of hassan's other music on this you'll know what i mean like Hassan's energy just come, comes across so clear on that song the way it does on his other music. I mean, at least to me anyway. Yeah, actually, as I was talking to Hassan actually before we started and I was like, um, I couldn't find, I found the old SoundCloud stuff, but then Hassan was like, they've kind of moved over to YouTube. So I'm going to listen to that after the podcast. I, I think you'll be really into it. Like, I think that, um, yeah, it's definitely like... I think you've had different. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hassan. Your mm-hmm. your your work has different eras. Like, do you see yourself like um doing more contemporary sounding hip hop stuff after this track comes out? Have you? Is yeah, it inspired that, you to do more stuff? Yeah, I was actually gonna say that after working on this song with you, I seriously started considering like you know doing other kind of stuff. I was working on a pure like boom bap solo EP under my MC name Polymath, but I was like okay, this is cool, but I've done this before. I want to do something else. And I have I have a whole EP in like UK style drill, <laughs> but nice. obviously with a Pakistani flavor. And I'm also thinking of doing some trap songs and like just also like it's not necessary that you rap just on a hip hop beat or a hip hop song. You can be a rapper, like you said. A rap can come in place of a guitar solo or a breakdown or 
any other kind of musical section you know it it it, sh- it should be taken as another instrument because the voice is an instrument you know yeah exactly kind of like um i don't know if you had the episode with something called philomena that we had on um and she basically sings on trap beats like gunner style trap beats um somewhat to like chloe um i don't know if you've had of them so that's quite quite cool because um yeah like rap a rap can kind of go anywhere really like any any sort of beat um and i think there is that kind of misconception of you, know, you should sing on that you should rap on that or whatever mm-hmm. yeah I um it's been a bit quiet for a bit and I'm going to bring it back but um I ran a website for a little while called desifuturism.com where I interviewed south asian artists making like boundary pushing stuff whether it be political or sonically or geographically anything anyway I interviewed this rapper from uh, uh, Philadelphia called Lush Life and you know he's collaborated with Teams. he's been around the world touring really really he has this tune called magnolia which is like an absolute banger for the ages and um, i recommend you both check it out if you don't know it but i interviewed him um a couple of years ago and he talked about all the different iterations in which hip-hop can exist specifically for him and he talked about how you could take a ukulele and sample it and then mix that up with like the sound of someone cutting some grass and then you could make that a beat and then you could rap over it and then it's hip-hop and he was just pulling random stuff out of the sky and just talking about how anything can be hip-hop whereas there's so many mediums like rock or or jazz where yeah there's some really boundary pushing stuff in both genres but it can be very like conservative culturally and sonically at times too and he talked about how he had been working with um this uh this outreach program i think it was like in mumbai called the slum gods and uh, they're like a hip-hop academy and they bring kids out of poverty and uh teach them how to you know they get them into they give them stuff to do in terms of like teaching them how to dress and hip-hop dance and freestyling and it's how hip-hop culture is literally helping kids get through poverty and giving their lives new purpose and yeah that as somebody who didn't grow up in hip hop as a community as such until more recently, really, really moved by that community aspect and how such a disparate kind of music that had its roots, perhaps in places like North America could work its way into the slums of India and make its own thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, I mean, all my favorite Indian artists just now are all rappers and they're all just doing incredible stuff. It's incredible how, you know, uh, an initiative like the slum gods in India can like, use hip hop culture to literally bring children out of poverty by giving them like that sense of purpose through what hip hop is capable of, be it in terms of, you know, like dance and freestyle and all that. Hassan, you sounded like you'd already heard of it when I mentioned it. Are you familiar with it? I'm familiar with them. I'm friends with some of the people who work with them and they're a really important crew, very influential and inspirational. But I, I, I really agree that, you know, this kind of movement, hip-hop movements can be very important in our South Asian social context. Like, to give Pakistan's example, like, um, there is a city, Karachi, it's the biggest city in Pakistan. It's also not the biggest hip-hop scene. But for the last 30, 40 years, that city has had a lot of uh, inter-ethnic violence, different ethnic groups literally killing each other on the streets, those kind of stuff, right? Nowadays, through the hip-hop scene, all of those people who are like whose parents or grandfathers might have been involved in this kind of stuff, they're all making music together. You know, they don't care if the next guy is a Punjabi or a Pashtun or if they're a Sindhi or Muhajir or whatever. 
they they're interested in developing the culture making music getting everyone on the same platform with common issues and all that stuff so i think uh, for societies like india and pakistan where it's so much different countries jumbled up into one you know in a way it's very important to future like social movements yeah i think a lot of people um probably aren't aware that like how pakistan and india and how mixed it is and how many different languages and how many different cultures is all jumbled up into one and i think a lot of people kind of don't really know the difference and things like that so hopefully kind of the music as well can yeah, um, can uh, kind of educate as well in the way absolutely and like there are some languages in pakistan that are just spoken by like a couple thousand people and people are rapping in that can you imagine like if yeah. you're a historian in the future a linguist or whatever you want to hear what a certain language sounded like in the past and yeah. you have all these recordings now you know that people made themselves made music themselves it's crazy yeah that's one of the things i've always loved about hip hop is just how hyper local it is so like especially yeah. in the south of america like you can go to a different postcode and they'll have yeah. like a different like hi hat or snare or a different kind of mixing technique or a different sort of vocals yeah. and that's kind of also how the kind of offbeat thing happened as well which is all really, I think yeah really cool. for Hassan yeah for Hassan's benefit as well um because it sounds like apart from a couple of those artists that kind of got you into using your own accent um are you I don't know if you're that aware of what's happening in the contemporary scene at the moment Hassan should we do you want us to tell you about what's going on tell me <laughs> yeah, yeah no I think I think cuz you're obviously at this crossroads where you want to learn about what's happening I think yeah, that yeah. I would call this the most exciting time in Scottish music in general for a long time but I yeah, think that hip hop in particular yeah like I mean Sanjeev's the man with the podcast I think you give us a little whistle stop tour Sanjeev yeah so Scottish hip hop kind of dipped and it's went up and it's went down and it's kind of disappeared but it started obviously way back in like the 90s and things um, and then obviously it was mostly kind of old school vibe um, and there was a lot of kind of alternative sort of hip hop um, coming from Scotland as well um, but at the moment like it's at a really sort of exciting point where there's, there's a, a lot of kind of good MCs and rappers that are just on the edge of something really big um, and there's quite a lot of them doing amazing things as well so it's really kind of exciting time for Scottish hip hop where the accent is almost it's almost been accepted um but whether whether it's accepted that kind of in Scotland was the problem I feel like um and it's funny because people outside of Scotland probably accepted it sooner than people in Scotland um and if you know <laughs> Scottish culture like it's a lot of banter and people are always sort of yeah having a laugh with each other and um, it's hard to be authentic in Scotland <laughs> because so many people will be like, oh, st- like, they'll kind of judge you or whatever. But I feel like it's getting better because, um, and there's kind of these different cultures as well that's now coming into Scotland.
We are one, so don't judge. It's wrong to hate on another person. My name's Lil B, and I'm talking about purpose. I love all of you. I love everyone, all my brothers and sisters in India. Stand up, if you're from India, say you're proud. I love you, we in this building right now. Lil B's my friend, the base guys around. We in the crowd, thinking about everything, everyone. Why should we think we better than one or another? If you a worker, a Brahmin, I'ma tell you something. We just eat it up like top ramen. Don't think about the hate, just conceal it. That's evil and
Four players, 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 four players,
golpe la champi Especially something I want to ask you is, do you see, like, I know you probably haven't listened to much Scottish hip-hop, but do you think there's kind of similarities between South Asian rap and Scottish rap? I've kind of touched on it earlier on, but I don't know what you guys think of that. Uh, I think that um, the big parallel I see, both as someone who's... because. I think when anybody experiences my like music or even my company, my 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 Indianness and my Scottishness are there. They coexist in such a visceral way. Like I'm never less Scottish or less South Asian. They're both on top of each other. The parallel mm-hmm. I immediately see is that a regional accent means a lot. Like for me, as a Tamil person who's a bit of a minority in the UK. In the US, there's so many Tamil people. And in London, there are, but in Scotland, there just isn't a Tamil population. And for me, a South Indian rapper like Arivu, for example, Mm -hmm. brings so much in terms of not just representation, but just being able to relate to the way he raps being how my mom and dad speak. My mom's not, my mom can't freestyle (laughs) to any extent, but I mean, whose mom can? But at the same time, the fact that Arivu says things in his, like raps things in his verses that like, my mom would say, speak to me growing up. There's something really primal to that that kind of makes me go, yeah, this feels really special. And when you grow up and it's like, oh yeah, you've got Indian music, right? And like, I didn't grow up with Bhangra. I didn't grow up with Punjabi culture in my house. So I find yeah. it until more recently, a bit more alienating. So it's like, you know, I'm not rejecting it, but it's not what I knew growing up. And Scottishness is the same. Like on the world stage, if there is one for hip hop, I mean, every American accent's represented. You get French hip hop, you get Indian hip hop and Japanese hip hop. I love hip hop in other languages. I'm so yeah, fascinated by it. Like I am, um, there's like so much, I, I love like seeking out what like, you know, hip hop in other languages is telling me because the inflections, the cadence of a specific language, you yeah. know, that dominates how that hip hop is delivered. Like there was that, did it, did it, did it, did that thing they called the Scotch snap in hip hop yeah. that was really popular for a couple of years. And it's like, that amuses me as a Scottish person that apparently that originated from the cadence in which Scottish people spoke. And as a Scottish person, I'm like, do we sound like that? Oh, we do. Maybe we don't. I'm always changing my mind on it. And yeah, for me, it's like the immediate parallel I see between South Asian hip hop and Scottish hip hop is an accent means a lot, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the parallel for me is like uh, if I look at Scotland within the UK, it's a very distinct place. It's got its own regional, like, um, you know, like this sense of we're Scottish, not British or English. or And like regional accents in Scotland, obviously, as well, and I suppose the UK. Yeah, so it's the same in Pakistan. So like if a guy from the province of Balochistan raps, he's going to be alienated in a certain, to a certain extent by everyone else because his accent isn't what the kind of tones they're used to or they'll think that, okay, he's, just some kind of backwards hick or whatever, just based on the accent that they're rapping in or talking in. So I, I see those kind of parallels. Also, I knowing a bit about the social context of Scotland, you know, about the sectarianism, about, yeah. about the banter, about how, you know, it, it is probably just stereotypes that I absorbed through English media. Okay. But it's, it's a lot of those stereotypes are some of the same stereotypes they say about Punjabis 
or Pakistanis or whatever, you know, oh, they're loud people, they love to banter, they love to drink, they're uncouth. So it's those kind of parallels or yeah. uh, whatever you want to call them, whatever academic word you want to call them, they, they kind of build a closeness or familiarity or at least help you see the world in ways that isn't so unfamiliar, you know? Yeah, there's definitely like an academic value to hip hop, as you said earlier, with kind of people with only like 2,000 people that speak like a certain language. Um, yeah. I think hip hop does definitely have that value as if it was like an academic piece or like a piece of research or whatever, then hip hop definitely has that. But talking about sort of preconceptions um, and things like that, it's quite, it's quite a smooth transition into, do you think there's a preconception to being South Asian and the style of music you make generally or? Oh, I can, I've got so many opinions on that. <laughs> yeah, I think, exactly. I, yeah, I think if you, I think if you grew up Indian in India, like I have friends in Tamil Nadu who seem deeply confused that I talk about things like representation because they don't know what it feels like when you're the only brown face in a sea of like white ones and they don't know what that feels like. Um, and it's me saying things like, if you if you're Indian and you live in a in in a place where you're really a minority voice and a minority face, shall we say, to be literal about it, people project specific stereotypes like Hassan was talking about. Like, oh, do you make meditative yoga music? Oh, do you have a sitar? Do you have sitar samples? All that stuff. And I'm like, well, well, no, because I love my heritage, but I grew up playing the guitar in bands because I grew up in Scotland, but I want to mix those things and doors slam in your face immediately because people say, oh, um, that's not the stereotype that I can sell. I'm not interested in learning about the nuances that make up what you really are, Mm -hmm. even if there's a massive audience for what you do, because more recently I organically pivoted to a more R&B kind of sound because I started falling for that kind of music organically. But it's like that is more conducive to a mainstream audience because more brown people just tend to listen to R&B. But there's definitely a, you're brown or black, you'll only like rap and R&B. And there's a weird, like, man, I was making fun of boomer rock music and I have to pivot to defend my right to listen to it. It's really weird. And <laughs> being a being a guitar player as well, because I, I do it for a living now. I session for people. I played some really big gigs doing that it's so hard just to be a face who plays guitar because, you know, I feel like I'm pretty good at it at this point. And yet there is this like, oh, do you play like, you know, okay, in the 90s for context for both of you, there was this band called Kula Shaker who made like hippie dippy Indian rock music, but it was like four white guys using an Eastern scale. And people go, do you make music like that? And I'm like, well, no, I think that's embarrassing. But it's like, that's the only music I'm allowed to make for the kind of way that I look. And I'm like, why does it, why is it that like, Five white guys can sound Indian, they can sound Scottish. Why do they get that right to sound however and be perceived however they want? Whereas I'm demeaned by whatever one-dimensional stereotype you have. I think for me, it's like organically, because I'm in a space that has more representation in it, it's easier to have more nuance. But when I used to make more rock, post-punk influenced music, it was hard going. But yeah, what are your opinions on it, guys? Yeah, yeah was, you go on, Hassan, what do you think? Yeah, I was just thinking of something like based on what Topol was saying. So last year, um, a professor of mine, and he's my favorite professor, I'm not saying anything bad about him, just in case you're listening. But 
uh, he, he asked me for a playlist of Pakistani hip hop and I gave it to him. And his first response was like, okay, it, it sounds like hip hop, but not like Pakistani hip hop. And I was thinking like, how, how can, how can you like come to that sort of conclusion? I mean, it depends on what people are expecting. They hear the word Indian or Pakistani and they think that got, there's got to be some ringeting sounds, some sitar, <laughs> some pangra, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But it can be just two, two, three Pakistanis in a room making the same kind of music that's in Atlanta or London or Spain yeah. or whatever, but in their own languages. It doesn't always have to be of a specific South Asian sampling. But on the other hand, when I did incorporate South Asian samples in my music, I got a lot more like airplay, to be to be frank. You know, my the songs that I made that had South Asian samples, people were more receptive to those because they could put us in a box. Okay, this is what Pakistan You can sell it. Yeah, in a certain, yeah, exactly. Um, I need to, if I could cut in quickly with an anecdote that sums up the, the exact phenomenon Hassan was talking about. I have a good friend, she means well, who will not be named too. She did that thing where she went to India for a gap year, came back with a bindi on her head, all that, all the usual like gap year <laughs> stuff. And she had an India themed party when she got back and like she, it was kind of like Bollywood music on in the background and people dressed in colors. At that point, that was peak me listening to industrial gothy music. And I turn up in a black jumper and jeans. And she's like, oh, you didn't dress up. And I, there was a busy party and I turn record scratch. Everyone stops to look at my answer to this question. And I go, yeah, I was like, listen, mate, out of the two of us, who looks more Indian? And she kind of had to go, well, it's still you, isn't it? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> whether I'm turning up wearing like a turban or a kurta. Like, I'm yeah. still going to be Indian. And I find it remarkably weird that like, um, yeah, your professor Hassan or my own friends are just like, why are you living up to this very one-dimensional stereotype that you're not allowed to deviate from? And see if it's a silly little interaction from a friend who meant well. Hmm. Who cares? See if it's a one-off thing where you made a playlist for your professor. Probably not going to lose enough sleep. Or probably not going to lose much sleep over it. Yeah. But when you're trying to make it in the music industry and people with immense amounts of power are like, hey, I need you to be your stereotype or I can't sell you. You're not Apu enough, man. Bring the yeah. cookie mart energy. I'm just like, <laughs> what? Exactly. You know? I and I can't believe we talked a bit Apu. I can't believe he got out. Uh, can't believe they took him out. I was a bit raging about that. But I think that system, I have a, the joke I always say about that is definitely, the joke I always have about that is definitely, uh, oh, um, Scottish people, so Indian people are like, Oh, Apu's really offensive. Scottish people are like, oh man, the Simpsons is offensive. Uh, groundskeeper Willie is a stereotype and we're not offended by him. My take as a Scottish Indian person, both at the same time is, why is this show still on TV? It's not been funny for like 40 years. <laughs> yeah. And like, no, and I'm sitting there going, you know, the Simpsons exists to parody a format that doesn't even exist on telly anymore. And I'm almost thinking, yeah, it was a white guy, Hank Azaria doing an accent, but it was a time and a place. It obviously affected people who grew up around in the US. I watched the documentary that that comedian did about it. And I, I was like, actually, what's on? It's worth, a, it's worth a watch. And 
Um, one of my favorite things about Hassan's internet presence, I'm not going to lie, Hassan, like one of the reasons I wanted to approach you about this song is your politics leaps off the page and the way you interact with people online. And I went, I need this guy's takes because there have been so many times where I'm really frustrated about something and only Hassan agrees with me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not insane because what other person... It's yeah, just one okay. Pakistani fella in Germany, but he agrees with me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it, it is legit like um, Hassan, what are the, this thing Hassan does is um, he makes fun of terrible, for people who don't know, an Indian diaspora person is someone who is of Indian origin, but grew up in the US or in the UK or in Europe, basically is Indian of by birth or heritage, but didn't literally grow up there and is a mix yeah. of both cultures but there is this kind of weird oh i'm all about indian culture and my art my visual art my music but that doesn't boil down to i'm going to talk about class i'm going to talk about caste i'm going to talk about the stuff that's literally affecting billions of asians around the world yeah. it's man uh, do you know that white people say chai tea and that's like saying tea tea or you can't <laughs> say naan bread because naan means bread i call that I jokingly refer to that as chai praxis because you're not saying anything. You're just making yeah. a really inane point for likes and it always gets really good social media engagement. But I'm yeah. like, if you want to be about being Indian, celebrate the stuff you're proud of. But if you're going to talk about something, have a real conversation. The first time you hear someone go, don't say chai tea. It's like, yeah, I guess. But the eight millionth time you've heard it, you're just... Yeah. I'm sick of it. And I, apart I from got, Hassan, yeah. Sorry, and you go. Yeah, I, I never got why that's such a big issue. Uh, because in Pakistan, they 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 have phrases like pita bread. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we do the same thing. You know, it's 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 uh, not like it's just whoever whatever doing it. But my my problem with uh, and I'm I'm a diaspora now too, so I obviously had to check. A lot of my own assumptions and beliefs I had about uh, second, third generation immigrants in foreign countries, because I'm trying to be an immigrant myself now. But I, I kind of get where they come from, because when once you leave your country, you, the image you have of it is frozen in time. And what's frozen includes all your own personal privileges, all your own biases, all your family's political biases, all that kind of stuff. And it gets very hard for people to look look beyond that, especially when the media they get from India and Pakistan is the same, you know. I think that's a really good point because I feel like a lot of the culture here, sometimes when families have moved in the 60s, 70s or whatever, they still think of India as, as it was then. So they don't know how India's moved forward. They don't know how politically it's moved forward. They don't know how like socially to move forward and yeah. things like that. So I think, yeah, yeah, you're bang on the money there with, with what you were saying. So to bring that conversation full circle, I always laugh when um, I'm in the company of people who've been like, you know, whose parents immigrated in the 50s and the 60s. And they have this idea, very archaic idea of colonial India as being the India of like the modern age. And they then learned that, yeah, traps really big in India and the, um, People have like, you know, there's like English, there's whole English films that chart over there. And that India is a very diverse place that has become quite progressive in a lot of ways in the 21st, yeah. in the century that we're in. And it's almost like 
Hey, guys, we owe so much to movements like hip hop for pioneering inclusivity and stuff when it comes to caste and gender and geography. And yeah, I find it weird when, you know, third generation Indians here who are a bit older, they look at that and they go, oh, India has lost its way. And I'm like, why are you saying that? What do you mean? I'm like, oh, I remember <laughs> back in the day. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You didn't, you grew up in Brixton. Like you don't know. <laughs> like I literally, I hear these conversations when I'm a big fan of like fusion Indian classical music, like Anushka Shankar's music. I think it's brilliant, but I find it really weird when I was watching her play at a festival in London called Dialed In two weekends ago. And I heard a lot of people say, oh, this is the kind of music that I like. And I'm like, I mean, it's good that you like it, but why are you being really, why are you self-colonializing our music? Like, you know, our, our collective South Asian culture here, like Indian people can make any kind of music they want and it's still Indian music. It doesn't have to be yeah. your, you're like, oh, in the 1800s, this is what Indian music is. Yeah, you don't need like, to like, you shouldn't need to like prove how Indian you are to, <laughs> yeah, like things like that don't yeah, make yeah. you any more Indian just because you use Indian samples doesn't make you less or more of whatever find... culture you're part of. I'm not going to lie, but like, I, I, I feel like it's, I, there's like a bottomless pit of terrible takes on what defines people as being South Asian <laughs> enough. And it's so weird. It's like, I get flack from everything to the way I say my name, to the fact I play the guitar, to the, the fact that I don't like uh, have a thick Indian accent on top of my Scottish one. And I went, if I had spoken with a thick Indian accent growing up in a really industrial part of Glasgow in the 90s, I'd have been murdered before the millennium. And it was like a sheer like survival tactic to adapt to the times. And I'm living in a more inclusive environment now. I'm way more comfortable with being South Asian and I'm happy. I can enjoy that duality. And, you know, I'm sure Hassan being based in Germany now, you can enjoy that duality of being based in Germany, but also being proud of who you are yeah. and being from Pakistan. Yeah, and also, yeah, and like, one one thing that I'd like to say is that um we we tend to think that okay, Indian culture, Pakistani culture, Bangladeshi culture, whatever, is just one thing and it's yeah. cemented. But there's so much stuff that is part of our culture now that wasn't our own, you know, like let's take the sitar for an example. It, it was originally a Persian instrument. It, sitar means three strings in Farsi. Now it's got a whole bunch of strings, whole different way of playing and all that. We made it our own. But it came from somewhere else and we made it our own. And it's not so far away in history, you know. It didn't happen in Jesus Christ days. We play the harmonium a lot in our local music. You can't have any folk music in Indian Pakistan without harmonium these days, especially Kuali. Yeah. But, it came from the British, it came from the Europeans, but we made it our own. So I think it's very important for, and this is something I try to remind myself too, because as I said, my own image of Pakistan is a three-year-old frozen in time image. When I left the airport, everything I saw, it's that's what's in my mind still right now. And you have to keep challenging these notions of what it is to be South Asian, Indian, Pakistani, Punjabi, Pashtun, Tamil, whatever, you know? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, I think I think the whole like what you were saying about it being different cultures. I think a lot of people over here probably don't know that, and obviously some will. But it's kind of like um, it's quite dark. But after nine eleven, um, obviously there's a lot of hate crime towards um, like Muslims and things like that. But I remember in Glasgow, somebody had spray painted the the Sikh temple um, because they they didn't know the difference. Um, yeah. So 
there was hate towards anybody that was basically brown. Um, and I think, yeah, that's kind of that miseducation that is improving. Um, and I know more people are starting to kind of look into the, the differences um, and, and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, in, in Germany, um, there's a lot of racism and minority relationships with the white people is like very bad, same as in any other European country. Yeah. And, and I do feel myself, you know, like, Sometimes I don't feel like identifying as a Pakistani. I, I because I'm surrounded by all these Kurdish and Iranian and Afghani people. Yeah. I, I sometimes I feel like being dragged into that Middle Eastern Muslim identity, even though it's not something that I was born with. You know, it's so it, it's it's interesting to see how all these uh, things happen. And in, in Germany, they have like a racist word similar to the N word in uh, English speaking yeah. countries. I can't say it out loud, but it starts with a K and okay. that word, basically anyone from freaking Serbia to Turkey to the edge yeah. of India, everyone yeah. gets lumped into that banner, you know, and I, I started using that word in my hip hop songs too, because I've been called that by white people. So you, you kind of defiantly accept some of the same stereotypes they throw at you, you know, as a form of self preservation. So I do get why second and third generation immigrants have these specific ideas about themselves and because it comes from the oppression, of course. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, it's sort of off topic, but there's a lot of crossover, I feel like, between these different groups. Like for me, obviously I'm Scottish, I'm South Asian and I'm disabled. So like there's a lot of crossover between all three and people have an image of what I should do or what I should like have a, a sort of preconception about me like between all these three things they have they, they kind of have judgment and I feel like for me it's kind of different because because of these like three years old like nobody really knows what to expect with me I feel like so that's kind of helped me in a way like nobody thinks that I should put out like I don't know like South Asian influenced stuff mm-hmm. um, or talking about disability or whatever. So I just kind of do a bit of all of it. Um, um, so yeah. I'd like to I'd like to turn the uh, the format on its head a little bit and ask you a question, Sanjeev. But yeah. I appreciate that like man, it's it's been so interesting to talk about like heritage and the intersectionality of being many different identities at once. But our our single rupture of the wheel that me and Hassan worked on, it revolves around it's asking the question is nationalism inclusive? And it's asking that question via a discussion about a story, based, that story being uh, a wheelchair-bound Indian theatre patron, sorry, a movie-going movie going in India in 2016, Salil yeah. Chachavardi. He, um, he was assaulted in an Indian movie theatre in 2016 because they used to play the Indian national anthem before Bollywood films to kind of drum up a bit of nationalist rhetoric. But... He wasn't able to stand up, but that wasn't good enough for someone in the movie theater who I assume is able-bodied and he was assaulted. And yeah. that and even though they reversed that legal requirement to play the ball the, the Indian national anthem before Bollywood films in 2018, the song's kind of talking about how both I you know, and I think that both Hassan's contribution to the song and my own sung verses 
you know, they touch on the idea that, you know, once you get the ball rolling with something like nationalism, you can't be like, oh, we've, we've, we've reversed the legislation. It's all going to be fine now. Yeah. Well, no, you can see what the Indian government are doing in terms of ethnic cleansing right now and be like, you, you can't pretend it's something like, you know, drumming up national rhetoric when you're trying to watch a movie, even after work to relax, isn't going to contribute to that environment. And what I'd like to ask you, uh, Sanjeev, as someone who's obviously yeah. grown up in Scotland in the UK, but yeah. has that tie to Indian heritages, we can think of many ways in which Indian nationalism through the through the lens of this song isn't inclusive, you know, be it to someone who's not upper caste, someone who's Muslim, someone who's not able-bodied. Do you feel like there's parallels with um, nationalism here, be it UK, like British nationalism or Scottish nationalism as someone who's not, who's, you know, who's talking about being disabled? Like, do you feel like there's parallels there? Do you feel like nationalism's inclusive for you? Yeah, I feel like it is inclusive here because... I don't think there's anything in terms of that sort of situation where that would kind of impact me because of my disability or I'm less kind of, yeah, national or whatever because of that. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that really answers your question, but. Um, I mean, yeah. the, well, no, at the end of the day, mate, your take on the answer, so your take on my question is the <laughs> correct answer, isn't it? Like, it can, your take is your take on it. And if you feel like from your experience that relative to an incident like that, it is inclusive, that's that's great. It's good to hear that you feel included. I guess because for a bit of context, I'm a carer for my pet. Like, you know, my I've performed care duties for my parents to some extent over the years. Like, my parents are both disabled and, like... Yeah. I have a very, I have a very tangible investment in terms of like disability representation. I um, I got to play with um, noted disability rights activist Gail and Lee abroad, and I've got some really close friends who you know are who are non able bodied. And for me, it's like I've heard a lot of things murmurs from them in terms of whenever you see like an image of nationalism, be it like you know, a, a tourism advert for Scotland or something, how often do you see someone who might be in a wheelchair or anything like that? And I guess for me, it's like everyone's got different priorities and I'm not projecting these onto you. More just for the sake of interest, talking about how I've definitely heard friends who are, for example, I have a, my, my friend who's the most, I'm really into whiskey, the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to whiskey is a friend of mine who's like not able to walk due to like a degenerative motor, sorry, a degenerative muscular condition that he's got. And okay. he has constantly been blocked from whiskey tastings that were down or up a flight of stairs. And you wouldn't go, you wouldn't accept it if a, there was a sign on a, on a whiskey tasting that was like, Oh, I'm sorry, mate. No women or black people allowed at this tasting. That would be unacceptable. Why is it that a taste, a whiskey tasting down a flight of the stairs, down a flight of stairs can just come back to you going, ah, oh, mate, it's not accessible. Sorry go home, don't care yeah. about you. Like he's expressed his disgust at that. And it's got, you know, and it's made me really consider my privilege as an able-bodied person. But yeah, you know. Talking about that, experience... though, like, yeah. that's a good point because he when a while ago, I kind of done this sort of campaign because there was this train service um, between, I think it was, was it Edinburgh and Glasgow? Um, and they had a carriage that wasn't accessible or, yeah, that was, it wasn't accessible. Basically, they didn't have a, a wheelchair sort of bay. Um, and when I spoke to, like, um, I think I spoke to Daily Record about it. Um, but I, did, I said, um, would it be any different if it was, say, a black person or 
any other minority. Um, and a lot of people in the comments were like, what, how has that got anything to do with um, like not having a disabled space? And I was like, completely linked because it's like not letting a whole group do something because of something like that. So yeah, and a lot of people in the comments were kind of annoyed that I'd mentioned like other minorities with that, so. Yeah, I, I think that's all what's kind of, that's always been the parallel for me. It's like, why is it that there's like the, the good kind of minorities and the bad ones? And it's such a weird, like, it's not for people who are affected by it, making a big noise about it. Like quite a lot of people have either visible or hidden disabilities. And it seems odd to be like, nah, it's just not what I tend to think about. People have finite capacity, but, you know, it's always sat it's always that weird with me and yeah, that abuse you got as a result of pointing out something reasonable really got to me too. Yeah. We'll be so, talking for quite a while, so I better um, kind of start wrapping up. Um, yeah. So course. yeah, what's, what's to come from you guys? Or so there's that single coming out or will be out by now by the time this comes out. So make sure you go and listen to that on whatever platform um, yeah, that you so, obviously use. But yeah, what else yeah, is happening? In terms of Scottish shows, um, depending on when you drop this, I might have just played an Aberdonian festival called Rise Up. Ironically, all about representation of people of colour. And I'm playing with a couple of really awesome rappers, Clarissa Woods and Chef. And um, yeah, we're playing the Lemon Tree on the 14th of May. And then I'm playing the White Days Welcome Party on the 19th of May at La Belle Angel. We'll be playing this new single. And um, while Hassan won't be able to join us in person, you never know, I might get Hassan over to the UK for a, for a special appearance. You know, you heard it here first, exclusive on the on... Hip, -hop, Hip Hop Scotland podcast. So yeah, Hassan, what's next for you? Um, what's immediately next for me is I have to um, finish two EPs right now that I've been working on for a long time and just I'm ready to drop one single after Ramadan ends on and because I'm Muslim so I can't release music in Ramadan so I'm waiting after that just yeah hopefully those two EPs and after that I want to make a new crew because the Ranti group is kind of fizzling out okay. the other crew members aren't making music anymore so I'm thinking like maybe I should get some people in Germany together and raise some hell yes nice nice idea that would be that would be pretty cool um and i'll also we spoke about earlier watch out for your for your inbox i'll send you a bunch of a bunch of beats um shameless yeah. plug there for me but yeah hell yeah hell yeah i'm, I'm looking forward it's a uh, it's your podcast mate you plug to your heart's content and i always feel bad i always feel bad when i do that but Okay, mate, it's your it's your platform to do with what you want. And uh, speaking of plugging, rupture of the wheel out the twelfth of May. Um, myself and uh, Durante Group uh, collaboration on something that's yeah something very 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 different to anything either of us either of us have ever done. Um, big thanks to Hassan for being a part of it. I cannot imagine that song with him on it, to be honest. And it's it, I don't know what I felt like the ball got. The ball started rolling several years ago when we first met online. And we didn't know we didn't put a track together. But here we are. So, yeah, thank you, Hassan. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you, Sanjeev, for this really cool podcast. I want to say I learned a lot, especially the discussion you and Kapil were having about the 
disability and everything. So yeah. it's been an eye-opening experience for me to this whole podcast. Yeah, no problems. I'm really enjoyed to have it on. Hopefully the last listeners sort of enjoy it as well because it is a little bit of a, a slight left turn from the kind of usual people that we have on. But yeah, that, that's what I want to do, just to get different sort of sides and all angles sort of covered. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of like the journalism part of me kind of wants everything to be balanced. So yeah, I was looking forward to this and some really good and interesting chat. But yeah, so I hope everybody enjoys this episode and we'll listen soon for the for the next one. Cheers, guys. Cool. See you later. Cheers.